Talk Radio's red-headed stepchild. Solace Radio. We go where no talk radio has gone before. You're listening to Solace Radio, Monta Vista, Colorado. If you like the programming you hear on Solace Radio, please become a partner with us and donate any amount you'd like. You can go to solaceradio.com to do that, and we'd sure appreciate it. And it helps us to reach more and more people around the world with this great message of hope. Thank you for listening to Solace Radio. Now, back to our program. open to uh, Luke chapter 24. Uh, I'm reading out of the New Tree of Life version. Um, and again, we have these in the back. If you, if you don't have a Bible or you'd like to take one of ours, you feel free to, to do that. We have these specifically to, for our <clears throat> congregation, but also if you don't have one, we'd love for you to take one. So um, what we, people have read from different versions this morning, just so you know, and sometimes we put uh, the New International Version, which is probably one of the more common ones on the screen because there's no digital version of this yet. Um, but hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, we'll shift over soon. But you'll see that the theology doesn't change, just sometimes the wording, uh, how it's translated. But um, <clears throat> that's a tangent, really. Um, you, if you've been following with us, we've been almost going almost a, a, almost a year, really, nine months about through the book of Luke. Um, it's for me. It's actually a little bit sad. I've been really enjoying Luke, but luckily Luke and Acts really uh, go together. So we're not really finishing one; we're adding another. It's kind of kind of fun. But you'll notice that the story really doesn't end here. Um, although this is probably the pinnacle of God's power, the thing that I want you to see is that when righteous people act in in righteous ways and godly ways, God responds with power beyond themselves. Um, that the expectation was not just that. The Messiah would come and destroy evil or even even save us from our own sin. That's true. But even more than that, what he does by dying and resurrecting is that he defeats death in such a way um, that he actually enables us to do something we couldn't do before. We have access to a power that's higher than there was um, beforehand. Even in the Old Covenant, um, even throughout the Torah and the prophets and the writings, they had to meet with God, you know, they had to go someplace to meet with him. You know, Moses had to go to the tent of meeting. Um, David would kind of fall on his face for days, hoping that the Lord would show up. And the Holy Spirit would come on in certain ways, right? It would be that God could breathe on people. He would give them their spirit. But here is something different is happening. Something that changes in what Yeshua does um, in a way that's powerful, and it's a way that's being offered to all of us. And it's important because people say, well, why do I need to believe in Yeshua? And most of the time people say, the reason you should believe in Yeshua is so you can get out of hell. Like they scare people out of it. They say, well, aren't you nervous about going to hell? Well, that is one part of it. You do get to live with God forever. That's the benefit uh, of eternal life with God. That's part of what we're talking about. But really what's happening is God wants to give us that life now. He wants his kingdom to happen now. right? He's not saying, okay, get through this life, which is just a bunch of junk. You know, shut off this mortal coil, like Shakespeare said, and maybe one day things will get better. No, he's actually saying things will get better now for those who are in line with what I'm doing. So God wants to bring peace. People will say, well, isn't the Messiah supposed to bring peace? 
Well, yeah, he did bring peace, but it's not peace for everyone. That was never the expectation. It's not peace for people who don't follow him, right? It's not peace for those because if, if a king says he's the king and he sits on a throne and you say, I'm against that king, then you say, but wasn't the king supposed to bring peace? And you say, well, he did bring peace for his kingdom. If you're not part of his kingdom, then you get what the Haftorah said in Second Samuel where there's fire and you know flaring nostrils and things like that. Um, <clears throat> but what Judaism is good at is living life, right? That's why people wear the chai. Right, it's all to life. It's all, that's the that's the symbol of Judaism is to live, and the reason we can live is because of what God has done for us. So when we look at life, we can say we can enjoy this world because God is the Creator. We can enjoy this food because God is the one who gave us the food. We can enjoy this place because God's the one that's given us our land. We can enjoy this because God has saved us. Right, the whole purpose of enjoying life, um, and it, by the way, there is a difference between happiness and joy. You're not really looking for happiness as much as you were looking for joy. Because happiness is dependent on your stuff. Like if I only had this, it would make me happy. Joy comes no matter what's happening. Joy in a situation is even if you're dying of cancer, you can still have joy. doesn't matter what the circumstances are because you need something um, outside of yourself that's higher, that you have access to, a power that, we're, that when it comes on you makes even the bad things seem joyful. Even the trials become a joy according to, uh, according to Yaakov, one of the first disciples of Yeshua says, even in the hard things, you'll have joy, right? Doesn't that sound like the peace we've all looked for, or the peace that what the Messiah was supposed to bring? If Yeshua really is the Messiah and you believe in him, there is a peace that goes beyond all understanding. And beyond that, there's a power that goes beyond you, right? Now, I want to say that in front because we're in a couple of weeks, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and God's going to do something that no one's ever seen before. They've only seen in pieces, and then they're going to see it much more fully. But here we have Yeshua's already died, right? In the in this in our story in the context, he's already died on the cross. And even even though he's even said to them, "In three days I'm going to raise," some of the followers have already said, "Meh, it's the third day. Let's go home," right? I mean, they're already kind of giving up. There's only been three days, and and I don't know about you, but I give up that quickly. I've had a cold for the past few days. Yesterday, I pretty much said I went like this to Heather, and I went, "I give up. I'm just done," you know. And it's like she's like, "You've only been sick for a couple days," and I was like, "I know, but I'm just totally done." And just totally, you know, and this is even a worse situation. They had an expectation for what they thought Yeshua was going to do. So the first thing is, is that there's a power available to you, and that's the purpose of what he's doing, right? He's putting us in a place where we, if you have access to something new now, that should change your life and give you joy, even in the hard things, right? But the second side of this is that um, you kind of have to awaken to it. You kind of have to open your eyes to it. Sometimes when God even shows up, you don't even know it's him because we're not used to it, right? So... um on the first day, now we're, you know, Yeshua has been now dead a couple days, or he's at least in the tomb, and they show up on Saturday, essentially, is the best way to say it, but the Sabbath. Um, and notice who shows up first, because again, I've been saying this over and over, is this, the, the only people that have been um, uh, loyal to Yeshua fully has been the moms of the disciples, which is kind of a funny, we can have a whole conversation about that. But if you've ever been through something, uh, hard with your children, and I've watched people in our congregation go through hard things with their children. Usually the moms, I mean, the dads do okay, but the moms are the ones who show up. And somehow the mom instinct turns on. I don't know what it is, but they somehow they take care of situations like this. Even if their kids are being murdered or killed, they're still there. You know, the dads might, you know, for some reason guys kind of fall apart in these situations sometimes. But, and in this case for sure. So on the first day of the week, um, in fact, I'm going to go back a little bit. Ver- chapter 23, verse 50. Now, there was a man named Joseph, uh, Joseph a council member, or, um, a good and righteous man. 
Uh, he was not in agreement with the council on their action. Now notice, he, was, he is a council member, right? So he's on the Sanhedrin. And this, is, uh, um, this man, Joseph, was against the ruling on Yeshua, right? So he was a Judean from the town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So notice, this is somebody who had his priorities right. His priorities were not what, who's going to overthrow what. Maybe we'll get rid of Rome. Maybe we can you know, take over what we're supposed to do. It wasn't as so much political as maybe Judas's was. Or it wasn't as um, zealous as maybe Peter was. All he was looking for was the kingdom of God. right? So here we have a Sadducee. And everybody blames the Sadducees and the Pharisees for how bad they are. We, they become kind of proverbial examples of evil in Scripture. But at this point in the story, not, nobody is on the right side except for the moms. right? Everybody else has kind of ran away. Peter's already denied him. Everything's falling apart. In two seconds, we'll read that there were two guys who were just on their way back home because they were done, right? They're like, this is just too much. I'm done, right? But here we have a righteous man who happens to also be a council member, right? But his priority was set first to the kingdom of God. And his expectation is, I want the kingdom before I want anything else. And because of that, he understood who Yeshua was. And because of that, he was against the ruling of the council members. Does that make sense? Now, if you remember, when we went back to Isaiah 53 last week or the week before, um, we talked about how part of the prophecy of Isaiah 53 is that he would be given tombs, uh, he should be buried with sinners, but he becomes, he gives, he's given a tomb with a rich man. And here we have exactly that story, especially when you put this story back. It, the, the prophecy gets fulfilled in the sense that somebody comes along, a rich man, a Sadducee, and like I've told you before, if you visit the Sadducees' houses, you know that these are like the rich, Right? Um, they've benefited from their from their kind of selling out to Rome. And one of the Sadducees who disagree with the whole thing because he cares about the kingdom gives Yeshua his tomb, right? So he gives him his own tomb. And this is a tomb that nobody's ever laid in. So the commentary um, will say, it's interesting that when Yeshua comes riding in on a cult, he rides in on a cult that nobody else has ridden before. And when he comes, when he's buried, he's buried in a tomb that nobody's ever been buried before. He truly gets, um, even though he's being treated as a, as a criminal, he gets lifted up into somebody who, who gets buried like someone who's wealthy. Do you see what happens? So that's the first thing that happens, um, is that Yeshua is even uplifted in that process. Um, now, it was the day of preparation, verse 54, and the Sabbath was approaching, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw that the, tomb, uh, the tomb and how his body was laid. They then returned and prepared spices and perfumes, but on Shabbat they rested according to the commandment. Now notice, some people want the crucifixion to be the time when everything shifts, as if there's a new era that changes. As if the Old Testament is before the cross and the New Testament is after the cross. But here you have a righteous man who's a a Sadducee who does it the right way, wants the kingdom of God, nothing changes for him. Notice, he doesn't say, well, now now I'm just a Christian, I'm going to move to to Europe and become emotionless or something. That's not what happens, (laughs) right? That's not what he does. He doesn't just shift his thing. He stays who he is, and he does what he knows is right to do before the Lord in terms of the kingdom, right? And then you have two women who, even though in the Talmud it says that if somebody dies, you're allowed to prepare their body on the Sabbath, although most people don't do that. There isn't, you're allowed to in this, in the Sabbath track of the Talmud. If you want to, you can prepare the body on the Sabbath in extreme situations, and this would be, they still choose to take the higher commandment. So notice, these are righteous believers, righteous Jewish people who are saying, you know what? Um, we could prepare his body today if we wanted to. We have an excuse to do it. However, we're going to choose to follow the commandment. And Luke makes it points out they're following the commandments, right? So they don't just stop. They don't just turn around and say, uh, well, it's the Sabbath and we can do what we want. Now that Yeshua died, we can do whatever we want. 
it's all falling apart, so now we can just shift to the New Testament and we're done. That's not the conversation happening here. They're saying, it's the Sabbath, we're going to rest. Right? So notice, there's Sabbath resting, there's a Sadducee who's looking for the kingdom of God. The story is shifted for Luke, because remember, he's calling, he's calling Theophilus out a little bit. Remember, because Theophilus is probably a Sadducee, and he's turning around on him and saying, hey, there was a Sadducee. Remember that guy, uh, your, your friend, uh, Joseph from Arimathea? You guys are both Sadducees. Um, he seemed to disagree with you and because he was looking at what? The kingdom of God. What were you looking at? The kingdom of Rome. You were concerned with what was going to happen to the people, and he was concerned with the kingdom of God. And who does the right thing? Joseph or the high priest? Here is Joseph. Do you see? And then the women are the same way. There's a contrast happening. Who's doing the right thing? The men or the women? Well, it's the women. And who, who's actually following the commandment? The women know that they could do it, but they not, they don't do it because they know that the Sabbath is one of the big ones, right? There's a righteousness happening here. Part of this is to prove to Theophilus that the people involved were righteous. Now, a lot, in modern Judaism, one of the things against the Bible, one of the arguments against the Bible is, oh, well, the people who followed um, Jesus, the people that followed Jesus were just crazy. Or they weren't even real Jews anyway. Or they weren't even good Jews. And maybe this didn't even really happen the way they said anyway, and they probably made this thing up, right? That's the argument against. But here, instead, he's saying, wait, wait a minute, these ones are the most righteous. You have a Sadducee who's looking for the kingdom of God, and you have women who honor the Sabbath. That doesn't sound like crazy people who are doing, who are just making up their own religion. This sounds like people who understand the continuity between the prophecy and the fulfillment of prophecy. You see? And you can tell that Luke wants to tell this story this way, because look at how he ends this whole thing. Right? He goes through the idea of the resurrection, that they get to the tomb and nobody's there, and Peter can't believe it like he always does. Peter's the same guy. He's the first one to, you know, to jump up and run. And it's the first day, and at daybreak, the women come to the tomb carrying their spices. They find the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And when they had entered, they could not find the body of the Lord Yeshua. And while he, and while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in, in clothes say to them, in dazzling clothes stand behind them, and they say, the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you search for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Right? I mean, can you imagine? They're, they, they honored the Sabbath. They did the right thing. They show up, and he's not there. Right? He's not here. And then they say, remember? Now, this is an important word. This is a theme that goes all the way through the Torah, right? There's this idea of remembering. What are we supposed to remember in terms of all of God's commandments? If you do a word search for the word remember in, all, in Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, the only thing that we're supposed to remember is God and His commandments, right? God remembers the covenant. He remembers the people. He, he even remembers the rainbow at, for Noah, right? Our thing is to remember God. God's thing is to remember the right, how to fix things. Right? He remembers his covenant with Abraham. That's why he blesses us. We don't have to really remember anything, technically, as long as we remember God. If you're in line with God, he'll remind you of what you need to remember. In fact, he's going to say in a few minutes that when the Holy Spirit comes, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. Remember? And the prophecies were, one day the law is going to be written on your hearts. How does the law get written on your hearts? Well, you have literally a spirit that empowers you to remember, and it gives your conscience an upgrade to 2.0, where you should be... The law should come out of you now because the Spirit is in you. Do you see where it's shifting? It used to be you had to write it down and the kings had to be in charge of it and they had to put it on scrolls and they had to remind everybody every year. And every year they had to get it open and they had to read it to everybody and everybody had to stand there and listen to the whole thing because they kept forgetting over and over and over. But one day, God's going to do something so amazing that the shift's going to happen 
And you're going to show up and things are going to be different, but they're really still going to be the same. But the main difference that's going to happen is you don't have to remember anymore. You, you can just live in a way that's in line with the Holy Spirit and in line with what, what God is doing. So for people who are against the move of the Spirit and people who talk bad about you know, these moves of the Spirit, generally what you're saying is, is, I like it better the old way. I like it better when I have to just keep reminding myself as if there is no Spirit that's changed. And Luke's trying to make a point that if you're righteous and you're in God's will, he's going to empower you to do something you've never thought you could do before. Right? The greens get greener, the blues get bluer, the world changes. Everything looks easier and better because now you're empowered by the Spirit of God. And that's the same Spirit that raised, according to Paul, the same Spirit that raised Yeshua from the dead. So when the women come walking in and they say, he's not here, he's raised from, he's risen, right? One of the first thing they say to him is, remember, remember, remember what he told you when he was still in Galilee. So now we go all the way back to the beginning of the story. Remember when you back guys were all the way back in Galilee? What did he say was going to happen, right? He said, the son of man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be executed. And on the third day, he would raise up. Remember when he said that? And here's the, here's the problem is, for me, and I'm sure for some of the people here, maybe not this congregation because we're pretty righteous, but other people, <laughs> is the tendency for people is to come up with their own plan, and then when God shows up, complain about how the plan has changed, right? So God says, I'm going to do something, and here's how I'm going to do it. We don't listen to that. We come up with our own plan. We say, well, that's great, Lord, but what I really want to do is build this, you know, this thing. And then you build that thing, and then God comes and says, well, that was never what I wanted to build. I told you what was going to happen. You know, and now you're upset because it didn't happen. This happens with my kids all the time. Rachel always has a plan that, that for some reason, the first time Heather brought Rachel to school, she wanted to make it a sweet experience, so she brought her Dunkin' Donuts after. So now Rachel thinks every time we go to school, we should go to Dunkin' Donuts, which is not a good idea, right? <laughs> not if she wants to stay alive, you know. But she gets upset. Like, that's the plan. The plan is after school, we go to Dunkin' Donuts. That's not the plan. And we have to say to her, remember what we told you, that this was a special thing? That this, I mean, you kind of have to remember, right? Remembering is a big theme. That's why when we do Passover, it's remember when we were in Egypt, remember when we, it's always us remembering what God did. Because the grace comes first and then the obedience after. And you say, but God, I can't do it. How am I going to do it? Well, we, he has to open your eyes. And when he opens your eyes, he gives you the spirit to do it. God's not asking you to do something that he thinks you can handle. He's asking you to do something that he can handle, Right? So notice that it's he raised him from the dead. Plus, remember, this is what he said was going to happen anyway. And they were reminded of his words. And when they returned uh, from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to everyone else. So there's a whole bunch of people back at home who are kind of giving up. And they walk in and say, hey, remember what Yeshua said that this was going to happen, right? And now it was Miriam from Magdala, uh, Joanne and Miriam of Jacob, or Jacob's mother, and the others who were telling these things to the emissaries, right? But listen to what happens. It says, but these words appeared to them as nonsense. What? I mean, if they walked in and said, remember? Hey, it's the third day, guys. Remember he said he would raise? He said that he'd be given into sinful man's hands and that they would execute him and he would raise from the dead. And we didn't like him saying that. Remember we kept changing the subject? We kept talking about how great we were? And they said, oh, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry, that doesn't make any sense. They're saying, the tomb is empty. What he said he was going to do, he did. Theophilus, people in the audience, that's all. Did he say? Did he do what he said he was going to do? And here he is, he did it, and they come back, no, that doesn't make any sense. They, that sounds like nonsense, and they would not believe him. But Peter, thank God for Peter, <laughs> same guy who cuts off ears and, and goes, what, what about, wasn't that the tree you rebuked? And, you know, he's always getting people in trouble. He says, his sense is, he got up and ran to the tomb. Because even though it sounded like nonsense to him, even though he didn't understand it, there was something that made him want to look, right? He ran to the tomb, 
And leaning in, he saw only the linen clothes, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Now the question is, what's so much? I mean, on some level, it's why would he marvel about this? He he was told it was going to happen. But there's one thing, you know, for someone to tell you something's going to happen, it's another thing when it actually happens. So you go, I can't believe that it really happened, right? And that's the same thing that's going to happen with the Holy Spirit. He's going to say, look, I want you guys to go and pray, and then I'm going to do something awesome. And then when it happens, they go, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was going to happen. Right? It's so much more beyond me. It's more than I can understand. Now, the reason I tell you this, and you can say, boy, Jake, you seem to be stretching us all the way to Acts 2 already. Well, look at what, look at what happens next. Luke wants you to know before the end of the story. Look, there's only one half of this story left. What does he do? Right? He tells one last story, and this is why I know that he's going to connect it to Acts, because first of all, he wrote both, and they're both a Theophilus, and he says the purpose of Acts is to keep going from Luke. So that's one thing. But second, look at what he does. He leaves it. He's trying to point us to this great and glorious thing that the resurrection of Yeshua is not only the death of death, but it's the coming of his kingdom. And when his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, things start becoming marvelous, right? Now here, here's an example. So look at the next story, right? He's marveling at it. They can't understand what's happening. It all sounds like nonsense to them, even though they walked with him. And he says, now behold, Two of them, on that very day, were traveling to a village named Emmaus. Two of them, right? So two of them decided, you know what? It's the third day. They still, they so un- didn't understand what was happening that on the third day, instead of waiting, right? These were probably the two least patient of the guys, or at least had the most ability to leave on that day. Everybody else was sitting in the house. They get up and they go back to Emmaus, right? So they go on a journey. So on the third day, they're like, well, Sabbath's over. Well, I guess we're going home. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, the letdown after a wedding. You know, everyone's like, oh, I guess the bride and groom are gone and I guess we'll go home. And then the next day you're like, now what do we do? It's like, nothing. you know, it's like, wow, that didn't seem like as big a deal as I thought it was going to be, is kind of how they're going. Now notice, they're traveling to this village and it's a distance of seven miles from Jerusalem. I don't know if you have ever walked seven miles. Um, and if you've ever walked seven miles in the dust and the hills of Jerusalem, then you have something, uh, we can try it next time we go. If you want to try to walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus, I doubt you'd want to do it. But um, they decide... We're just going to go, right? I mean, it's not like they said, oh, we're going to travel to a closer place or we're going to go up on the Mount of Olives and look at the view. You know, they're, they're leaving. They were speaking with one another about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Yeshua himself approached and began to walk with them, right? So <laughs> they're sitting there going, I don't know. This is all nonsense. Nothing seemed to work the way we thought it was going to work, right? And Yeshua actually walks up. And it says, um, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So notice that there was something spiritually happening, so they could not even see who it was. It wasn't that he looked different. It wasn't that there was anything that... But somehow their eyes were literally closed to what was happening, right? So he starts walking with them, and notice how kind he is. Now, if if it was me, um, I think I would have walked up and just kind of like shook him a little bit and said, I'm right here. But he gives them the... He lets them process through it a little bit because he wants them to recognize that their plan is not his plan, and he has something better than that plan, Right? They think they're getting one thing, but he wants to give them that plus, right? They're not just getting an iPhone 6, they're getting an iPhone 6 plus. I mean, it's like so much, but you know, which by the way, I think it bends, so you probably don't want it. Um, but they said to him, what are these things that you're talking about with one another as you're walking along? And they stood looking gloomy, according to this translation. Um, and the one they, Cle- uh, Cleophas answered him and said, are you the, o- are you only visiting Jerusalem? Who doesn't know about the things that have happened here in these days, right? I mean, what kind of, like, who are you that you didn't notice this? Now, this is important because a lot of people say, well, the death and resurrection, that's a nice story. It's a myth. But, you know, was there anybody there? 
Well, according to these two guys, and according to the rest of Scripture, not only did hundreds and thousands of people witness this, but all of Jerusalem knew the story of what had happened, right? I mean, he's saying, are you just a visitor? You didn't hear about what happened? It obviously was a big deal. It happened to a lot of people, and a lot of people saw it. Not only is it written down in the Bible, but it's written down in other sources outside the Bible, right? This is something that historically actually happened, right? It isn't just the Bible saying it. People who didn't even have a vested interest, um, people who weren't even believers wrote down that this happened, that people recognized that it was there, that it made a big impact, that something happened that day and the three days after. And they turn around and say, look, were you a visitor? Same thing. And Yeshua says, what kind of things? It's very kind, I think. And they say to him, the things about Yeshua from Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful indeed in word before God and all the people, how the ruling Kohanim and the uh, and our leadership handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they executed him. But we were hoping that he was the one to redeem Israel, right? So there you go. They had their plan. Well, we were hoping he'd redeem Israel. We were hoping he'd do these other things. But uh, I guess he didn't do it. You know, I mean, it's funny to have followers who give up on you, you know, three days into the plan. You know, I mean, he had, it just happened. And he already, and the funny thing is he told them it was going to happen and they still gave up, you know. I mean, this happens. My mom used to do this with me and it always used to frustrate me as a kid, but it all, I mean, it still does now because she laughs at me. But she would tell me exactly what was going to happen. She'd say, we're going to go to the park, and when we get to the park, you know, you're going to want ice cream, and I'm going to tell you no. You know, And uh, you know, she'd tell me in advance because she knew that my personality kind of needed to know what was going to happen. And she said later, recently that it never really worked. She thought if, I, if she had just explained it to me, then I would be able to handle what was going to happen. Like, we're going to go here, and we're going to see. You know, the same thing. I, I tried the same thing. When Heather's grandmother died, I said to Rachel, I said, well, great-grandma died, and she wanted to know about it. I said, and we're going to go in. And we're going to talk to people and they're going to be sad. And I thought, well, maybe I could prepare her for it, you know. And I thought, but I don't want her to see. I mean, they did this. We're not used to open caskets, you know, but Heather's family uh, wanted to have one. So they had this open casket. And I said, you know what, let's leave Rachel. I'm going to keep her in the back. I don't even want her to see the body. It's going to freak her out and everything. So um, I'm in the room, you know, talking with Heather's mom. And we're next to the grandma. And someone says, oh, Rachel wanted wanted you. And brought her right up to the front next to the body. I mean, it was like, here's the body and holding Rachel. And Rachel goes, is that her? And I was like, uh, yeah. And she goes, she's, I mean, she just didn't even, it didn't even make sense to her. Like she was like, she said, I thought she was, I thought you said she was dead. And I said, well, she is dead. And then it was like this, like, you know, and then she's in the car yelling at Joey, dead means you don't come back and you never come back. And Joey goes, she's going to come back, Rachel. No, she doesn't come back. Dead means you're dead. And it's like she got into this thing where she just couldn't believe, right? So it didn't matter how much I tried to prepare her for it. It still didn't work out that she even understood what I was going to do anyway. And it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out anyway. Right? And it didn't matter how much Yeshua said to them over and over, this is the way it's going to be. They still couldn't handle it. So they just, their minds shut it off. Right? They didn't want it to be that way. And here you say, yeah, but I thought he was going to redeem Israel. I thought, I thought the Messiah was supposed to give peace. Right? Isn't that what the Messiah was supposed to do? Besides all this is the third day since these things happened. I mean, this is how kind of, um, backwards, the conversation is. They're saying, besides, it's like three days now, right? And the, and the conversation was, in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And their response is, man, this thing happened like three days ago. And he's saying, uh, I can imagine you, she was starting to go, yeah, guys, that was the. But also, some women among us uh, amazed us. Early in the morning, they went to the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came saying that they saw a vision of angels, and they said he was alive. Some of those went with up to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And Yeshua said to them, Oh, foolish ones, so slow of heart to put your trust in all of the prop- what the prophets spoke. Now notice, Yeshua doesn't say, Why didn't you believe me? 
Again, here's a righteous person, a righteous Jewish person saying the right thing about the continuity between the Old and the New Covenants. He says, why don't you believe what the prophet said? You're being so foolish right now. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, and look at what he does, and this is the thing that's so gracious and so amazing, and really what God calls us to do. He doesn't turn around and say, come on, believe the New Testament. Believe the book of Matthew. He doesn't start people there. He doesn't say, believe in the book of John, right? Which he, which we do say now, but it's in light of what has happened, right? We're reading the book of Luke and look at what John, look at what Yeshua does when he, when they're concerned with what has been happening. He doesn't say, why didn't you believe me? He turns around and says, why didn't you believe the prophets? You're being so foolish. And then he takes the time and says, then beginning with Moses, and all the prophets, he explained to them the things that were written about himself in the scriptures. Now, could you imagine in seven miles? Now, seven miles is not that far. When you run a marathon, it's like 20, some, 23 or something, 24 miles, right? Generally. You know, is it 26? 26 miles. Okay, so even further. Point one, 26.1. In seven miles, which by the way, it takes about, usually people walk about 10 minutes a mile about, so in about an hour and a half maybe, maybe two hours, Yeshua gives him the entire thing. From Moses through the prophets. Can you imagine the amount, how incredible that would have been? Right? How incredible it would be. Now notice where he starts. He goes back to the beginning. Right? In a seven mile journey, maybe two hours, maybe three hours, he explains, he starts him in Moses and he says, look, if you guys don't get this, I'm not just going to get mad at you that you didn't believe me. You didn't believe your own scripture. You didn't even believe your own people. You're not even believing your own tradition. You're not even believing what you think you're saying you want out of all of this. You wanted the Messiah to overthrow Rome and, and to sit on his throne of Israel. That's what you believe. But then you don't actually listen to the prophets and to Moses? That's kind of backwards. Now notice the, the argument in Luke is there's continuity between the Old and the New Covenant. For those who are righteous and those who have their priorities in line, for those who are looking for the kingdom of God, you will find it in the, in the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. If you want to find Yeshua, it's not just in the book of John. It's not just in the book of Luke. It's not just in the New Testament. It's not a New Testament thing. It's been what's been the expectation all along. It's been since from Genesis all the way through Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all the way through all these Torah portions. Yeshua's in there. That was always been the expectation. If he can go back through and say, look, I'm going to tell you all about the stuff about me that you've missed all the way through, right? That's all we're really called to do is, is have our eyes open. Now, a lot of us can't see just like these men on the road to Emmaus. We can't see what God has for us. We have Part of that is because we have our own plan for our own, our own lives. And God turns around and wants to reveal to us what the real plan is. His kingdom. And His kingdom comes in glory and power and majesty. Right? Now notice that they still, after all that, they still didn't understand fully. They approached the village where they were going, and He acted as though that He was going to go a little bit further, but He urged them saying, they said, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is already gone. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that when he reclined at the table with them, now notice, he reclined at the table, right? You don't always recline at the table. Generally, you recline. That's why we say, why is this night different from every other night, right? It's three days past Passover. Um, you can still do a Passover Seder, but he essentially sits down after explaining the whole thing, and he lays back, and he breaks the matzah, right? He blesses it. He took the matzah, offered a blessing, broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes opened, Right? I mean, that's the power of the kingdom of God, is when you break that bread and you say, Blessed are thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us bread from the earth. 
And then you say, blessed are thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the, the, the fruit of the vine. What you're saying is, is everything, it's what Judaism is all about. You've given us this land. You've given us this wine. You've given us this bread. You've given us this land. You saved us, right? Therefore, I can now truly live. L'chaim, right? That's what it's about. I'm supposed to now truly live because of what God has done. And these men were giving up because what God had done and because he didn't do it in the way they wanted him, that he want, that they wanted God to do it, right? And he turns around and what does he do? He spends the time with them to show them that it's always been planned that way. This has always been the plan. And then he uses the symbol that he says, do this in remembrance of me. He uses that same symbol and he literally does it again. He brings them through the process again. And that's why every time once a month when we do it, when we break the bread and the wine, what we're really asking for is for God to open our eyes. Every, every month we're saying, please open our eyes to what you've done. Remind us, Lord. We want to remember what you said was going to happen and what you did in response and what your plan is and what your kingdom is. We need to refocus on you because you told us to remember you and you would remember the covenant. Um, their eyes were open and they recognized him and then he disappeared from them. So boom, he's gone. Once they recognize him, he's done. That was his whole purpose was to open their eyes. <clears throat> now listen to what one said to the other. He said, didn't our hearts burn? Now this is where I think Luke is trying to move us toward Acts chapter 2. Because he's trying to say, Did something amazing just happened. right? This should be a, an amazing experience. Didn't our hearts burn while we were speaking to us on the road when he explained the Scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And this is, remember, the day we call Shabbat Shuvah. It's all about returning. They were leaving because they thought it was all falling apart. And then once they found out that God's plan was God's plan all along, and that God is great and He's amazing, and their eyes were open, they turned around. Right? Remember, this. they went back to the same place that Abraham was going to give up Isaac, and God stopped him and said, one day this will be the place where God will provide. They went back. They found the eleven with the others gathered, saying, the Lord is risen indeed. He appeared to Simon. Then they began telling about the events on the road and how they recognized him and that, they were, and that when, when he broke the matzah and they were speaking of these things, Yeshua himself stood in the midst of them. So after he opened their eyes, they went back to tell their friends what happened and then Yeshua shows up again. And what does he say? Peace be upon you. Shalom Aleichem. Right? Which is like the best possible thing. Did the Messiah come to bring peace? Oh, yes, he did. But it's only within his kingdom. Right? It's only in our hearts. It's only because we truly understand the beginning from the end. And he says, look, peace be upon you. But they were startled and terrified, thinking they saw a ghost. And then he said to them, why are you so shaken? And why do you doubt, uh, doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet. And um, it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said to, uh, this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they were still stand- there in disbelief, dude, now notice what the words are but while they were still in disbelief due to joy and wonder. So even in the bad situation, joy comes, right? He said to them, do you have anything to eat? This is my favorite part, because that's exactly what I would do. After this incredible experience, after this incredible thing, what does God do? He lives life. He says, hey, look at this, guys. Not only was this a great experience, but this makes me hungry, right? Where's the after party for the kingdom, essentially? Because what he's doing is he's living life. There are, look, they were gloomy. They were down. They were thinking, you know, God didn't do what I wanted him to do. And he turns around and says, I have something better for you. Let's eat. Right? And remember, we said every Jewish holiday is they tried to kill us. They lost. Let's eat. Right? We won. The point is, he did what he said he was going to do. Everything he said he was going to do, he did. Whether we understood it or not, he still did it. In his, in his graciousness, he still took the time to explain it. He still wants to open our eyes to it. 
And at the end, he still wants to eat with us. And he still wants to um, uh, party, so to speak. So he says, is there anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. <laughs> That's not what I would have wanted, but much healthier back then. And he took it and ate it in their presence. And they said to him, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything written concerning me in the Torah of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened his hands to, uh, to understand, the, uh, then he opened their minds, I'm sorry, to op- understand the scriptures. And he said to them, so it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and the removal of sins um, is to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are the witnesses to these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. So now you can say, okay, Jake, now we believe you. You weren't the one connecting it with Acts, it was Luke. It's not just the rabbi trying to push, push like, uh, you know, an Acts 2 experience. It's Luke is trying to say, this is important, that God's intention was to bring power on high, right? Some of us live in doom and gloom even after we've already known who Yeshua is. Some of us live in a spiritual poverty as if we're supposed to be martyrs all the time that we can't live life. We find every excuse to make life boring and dull and we remove all the color and we remove all the things from it and we find the best ways. We feel like sarcasm became a Jewish thing and therefore we should be sarcastic and we should always complain or take away from things. But that's not the intention of God's kingdom. The intention of God's kingdom is so that we can truly live, so that we can enjoy these things, so that we can look at the world and when the greens get greener and the blues get bluer, bluer, sorry, we look at it and we say, this is amazing, this is marvelous, look at what God has done. And even broiled fish tastes good, right? I mean, it's kind of thing where you go in and you say, everything here is better now. And the expectation is we should be looking forward to what God's going to do next. So on a Shabbat Shuvah, you turn around, not just because you were sinning, but you turn around because your expectation is, God, you know what? My way really wasn't the better way. And if I turn around, I'm hoping and expecting that you're going to show me what's better. You get, I'm turning around because I want your kingdom to, to blow me away, right? And people ask me all the time, and it's a, it, you know, even before I was in ministry, people said, it seems like heaven would be boring. We're just worshiping God all the time. And I said, yeah, but if you, if you were, if you, just the glimpses, if you, if you clicked into, you know, God's creation just a little bit, if you just sat down and really just contemplated, you know, the lilies, like Yeshua told us to, if you just sat down a little bit, just spent a little time with the lilies, you should go, wow, God needs to be worshiped. If you just looked at the universe just a little bit, you know, Will can send you all sorts of uh, things that will hurt your brain about the universe. Um, just a little bit of that should make you go, wow, God is amazing. He's so much bigger than I understand. And you should turn around and say, you know, my plan really makes no sense then in light of the God of the universe and the God of what, the God of the, of the true kingdom. You know, my kingdom just seems silly. It looks like, a, like, like something built on the sand, you know, like you build this, sandcastle hoping that it's going to stand and then you get mad when God, when the waves come crashing in. The waves should show you the universe is more powerful than your sandcastle. You know, God's kingdom is more powerful than anything you can build. And here he says, I want you to stay here in Jerusalem until we are clothed with power from on high. Right? Power. That's a big word. Right? He doesn't say until, until you do some things that make people you know, weirded out. That's not, that's not the goal, although sometimes it comes across as a little odd. Because the reason why spiritual things, particular spiritual gift things, seem odd to people is because they want it to be in the system that they want it to be. You put God in a box, then anything he does outside the box is going to seem weird to you. You're going to look at it and go, wow, that's, that's just, I don't like that. That's weird. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, why does it make you feel uncomfortable? Because it's your kingdom. If you want it to be God's kingdom, then you're going to be uncomfortable a lot because you're going to, when he shows up, when the angels show up, you're going to go, oh my gosh, and you're going to get down on your knees. 
And they're going to say, no, don't bow to us, bow to God. I mean, look at throughout Scripture. Let's go back. We can go back all the way through. We could do it today. It'd probably take a few hours. But if you want, stay for Nash and Rosh, and we'll do some of it. We could go all the way back to the beginning, and we'll see when God's power shows up, people don't just go, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's great. Amen. You know, thank you, Lord. That's not what happens, right? They fight incredible battles. They fall on their knees. David said that it was so heavy, he couldn't even stand up at times, right? I mean, God's power literally pushed him on his face sometimes because it's so, God's glory was heavy. That's what the word even means, glory, is heaviness, right? We take off our burdens, and his burden is light, and when we lower ourselves, he lifts us up, but he does it in a power that you cannot even contain because it's so much bigger than anything that we've ever done. It goes all the way back to that first word where he said, let there be light, and he opened the eyes of the world for the first time. He wants to open our eyes on Shabbat Shuvah. That's the whole purpose of this. He wants to open our eyes to just let you know that your plan is probably not as great as you think it is. And his plan, no matter what happens, whether it's life or death, really has no power. Even death has no sting. Because God's glory and God's kingdom is bigger, more powerful, and a much better life than any kind of l'chaim high you could ever wear. Right? You could drink a whole lot of wine and you'll still not feel as good. Right? And notice when we get to Acts 2, people are going to think they're drunk. Right? Because that's the context that they understand. Right? The context they understand is you seem a little too happy. You must have drink, drank a lot of wine. You're a little bit too joyful. Why are you so excited about this? You, maybe you're, maybe you're drunk. No, 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 no. You know, you can look happy. This is way better than that. Right? What, what I'm getting now from a download from the Holy Spirit is so much better than drinking a bunch. Right? So much better. Look, it's Luke pointing us there. It's Yeshua pointing us there. He's saying, don't stop here. Don't stop at the, just the death and resurrection. The death and the resurrection are the beginning of something incredible. And we have an opportunity in our congregation to embrace that. Because that's the expectation of Luke and then Acts, and then you'll see in even Hebrews. Hebrews brings us back to the beginning. And it says, look, at the beginning, it was always God's intention that he would blow us away. Right? I mean, you're talking about you know, someone who's over angels and demons and, the, and multiple, you know, the universe. And multiple planets that are out there. I mean, he's, he's the one who created all the stars and all the planets and put the things into motion. He's the one that separated the light from the darkness and the water, um, from the land, right? When you interact with somebody like that, you should be a little bit awe-inspired. There should be, I love it when the little kids have been coming up lately and we, every time we open the Torah, they go, whoa, awesome, right? A little bit of silver, probably fake silver even, on top of a Torah scroll that makes you feel like awesome. I can, I can for sure bend down and say, hey, guess what? Knowing God's better than that. And they go, wow. It's better than ice cream. Wow. It's better. I mean, it's better than anything you can enjoy in life. It's better than that. And that's what Luke is trying to tell us. Right? And we know that's true because look at what happens. He's, he goes straight from the resurrection. Notice that Luke only spends about a paragraph on the resurrection. Right? And then he spends, then he tells a whole nother story about how God wants to open your eyes. Right? The resurrection is the point that, that starts this whole thing and the message is open your eyes because God is something better. And he proved it by dying on the cross and resurrecting. Right? Paul says without the resurrection, we don't have anything. The resurrection proves that what Yeshua said is true, that his plan is the right plan, that he has the power to accomplish the things he wants to, you know, accomplish. But then it also points us to this race that we're going to run, that all of us in this congregation need to run together, that we go together as a team into this incredible thing that that has things in the way that we can't possibly do without God's power. Because he's just going to ask us to do things that we couldn't do on our own, right? So Luke and Yeshua are pointing us to, hey, wait for it, guys. You thought what just happened was great? 
I mean, can you imagine? I mean, look, resurrection, that's amazing. I don't know if any of you have seen a resurrection. I've never seen it. I heard it's amazing, right? If you thought that was amazing, watch what comes next. Because we just did something that enabled us to do something we couldn't do before. Remember there used to be a veil between you and the Holy of Holies? Remember that if you even got close to me, you'd die? Now I'm letting you in. Now we're going to let you walk by all that stuff, and I'm going to, you can come right before my throne, like Esther did with the king, like the kids with the Torah, and you can say, awesome. This is awesome. And God's going to say, yeah, you want to see something else? Watch this. Last night before the kids went to bed, I did this magic trick, and I won't do it for you now because you won't think it's that awesome. But there's a sense that, you know, you can do things that show that you're amazing. Like that, the best thing about being a dad is you, your kids think you're amazing when they're little, at least. <laughs> they, they think you're amazing. Everything you do, they say, how did you do that? How did you fix that? I can't believe you did that. You know, I told them, I took my thumb off the other day, you know, I did this trick and they, how did you do that? And then they start telling their friends, my dad can take his thumb off, you know. And then I did one with a pencil, you know, and you go like this and it looks like it goes in your head and then you pull it out of your mouth and they couldn't believe it. It's like, how did you do that? And I said, guess what? I have, I have better tricks than that. You know, that's what God is saying is, is, hey, you think your life is pretty good now. Anything that you think is great, I made that. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Anything that you enjoy in life now, that's me. If you want more of that, join my kingdom. My kingdom is even better than that because my kingdom has a plan that's better than anything you can build. So if you join my kingdom, if you follow me, then I'm going to do something that's even better than you've ever seen, right? And all we have to do is open our eyes. (coughs) Excuse me. So then Yeshua leads them out. And notice there's some continuity here. I love the continuity. Yeshua leads them out as far as Bethany. Remember they walked from Bethany into Jerusalem and then back? (coughs) Excuse me. Then what does he do? He lifts up his hands and he blesses them. What any good rabbi would do, he literally lifts up his hands, does the blessing that we're all supposed to do, and I will put my name on them and they will be my people. He blesses them and departs with them. And he doesn't just leave. See, because... When I do the ironic benediction, I do, you know, blessed, you know, Shabbat Shalom, and you go, Shabbat Shalom, and then we get bagels. When Yeshua does the ironic benediction, he literally goes up into heaven. I mean, I think if I had said, okay, guys, end of the service, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and then I went up to heaven, I think all of you would go, oh, my goodness. <laughs> right? When Yeshua does it, he does it better. Right? What kind of life could you live then? Now that their eyes have been opened, where are they going to go now? Right? So Luke has to write a whole nother book, do you see? He's got to say, okay, you thought that was great? I'm going to tell you, I'm going to write a whole other book for you, Theophilus, because you don't know what happened. After Yeshua ascended and he gave them all this power, you will be amazed by what happens. Thanks. Although I'm almost done, so it'll be good. The, <clears throat> so what I want you to see is, is that the next step in all of this for our lives, for us, is we want you to believe in Yeshua. That's true. We want you to get out of hell. That's 100% true. I, I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be in his presence all the time. But what I'm trying to tell you is that his presence is available right now. The, 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 tor- the, the, the curtain has already been torn. You can already go into the Holy of Holies now. You can experience God in a way that you've never experienced God. I don't know if you noticed, but Elliot put up, he wrote this, he got all these verses about lifting your hands. You know, people complain all the time and say, I don't like that lifting hands. It makes me uncomfortable. And then Elliot goes, you know what? Let's just look up. How many times does the Bible say lift your hands? And he found a lot of them, Right? So he just literally printed them all out and put them on a sheet and stuck them in the back. Why? Because lifting your hands is a Jewish thing to do, right? Not only is it a Jewish thing to do, it's a thing to do that most, that even little kids do to their dad, and we turn around and do it to our Abba Father, and he gives us power from on high, right? Why are we lifting our hands? Because that's the expectation that if this is that amazing, then I'm going to lift my hands to, to heaven because that's always been what we do, Right? What else can you do to your dad? And, I, and any dad can tell you the, mo- the best thing that ever happens is when your kid says, 
Can you pick me up? It's the best. There's probably nothing better than that, honestly. Maybe dancing with your daughter at a wedding. That might, that might be close. But when your little kid says, I need you, and you lift your hands, that blows away every father. I'm sure moms too, but for dads, that's like, because we don't always get the same kind of cuddle time. But when they want to be with you, I mean, Josiah lately has been saying, no, I want to be with dad. And I keep going, that's so great. I love it. You know, because most of the time he says, well, I want to, where's mom? Where's mom? And then every once in a now he's saying, where's dad? And it's like, makes me just cry. I love, I try not to respond too much because I don't want to freak him out. You know, my dad used to like start crying and rub my head and then I didn't want to sit with him anymore. You know, but so now I'm like, I'm trying to stop myself from crying because I love it so much. And God's trying to give us this thing that's so intimate, so amazing. He prepared a place for us. And that place is incredible. And I can't express it any more than I can now, other than the only the next thing is for us to experience it. So Luke turns around and he says, Theophilus, you heard this story. I wrote this down for you because it's important for me to write this down because you need to know the truth of what happened. But you also need to know what that because of what happened, where we're going, right? And that's true for this congregation. This congregation has been through a lot of stuff. You know, we're 80 years old this year. I don't know if you know that. We're in our 80th year. We might be 82, but either way, we're old enough we can't even remember how old we are, right? And we're moving to a new place where God is revealing his kingdom in a way that's, that's starting healing, that's starting a real... I mean, we're starting to really gel as a community in a way that we haven't since I... Well, I've only been here a couple of years, but we're starting to really come together. We're starting to be unified with other people. We're starting to see people who haven't been here for a long time come back. We're starting to see people uh, who um, had problems be healed of those problems, Right? But I think what we're going to start seeing is people who have emotional issues being healed, physical issues being healed, right? Spiritual issues being healed, right? Because that's what this place is about. Because if we're really engaging in God's kingdom, we should expect life to get better, right, on some level. And it should all inspire us. And it may make us feel uncomfortable, right? It may make you go, yeah, but you know, I'm from, my background's from Germany. We don't raise our hands in Germany. That's, that is a bad symbol in Germany. You say, yeah, but now we have the opportunity to raise our hands. We have the ability to interact with God in a way that's amazing. And Luke is pointing us there, and Yeshua is pointing us there. He doesn't say stop. Like, yeah, death and resurrection, awesome. He says, death and resurrection, okay, now that you got it, let's go, because I got something so much better. Now that we've opened the doors, it's time to go through the gates. Now that your eyes have been opened, it's time to see, right? And once you see, you can't go back, because the kingdom of God is so incredible that the only thing you can do is then turn around and tell it to other people. You know, uh, Jeremiah and uh, uh, Hannah were at our house the other night, and I said, you know, the thing that I liked about the church we went to when we were in Chicago, uh, in New York, um, that we were involved with a lot, um, was that there was never a person that I felt like would be embarrassed. I would never thought I'd ever be embarrassed to bring somebody to that church. And that was the thing that even kept us there, was I thought, you know what, I literally can invite, it. I can invite anybody to this place. And it wasn't because they wouldn't feel uncomfortable. They felt uncomfortable. It was because I knew that they that it was being availed to them something that would change their lives every time. And when they walked in the door, I knew that anybody who walked in the door would go, I think I want whatever this is, because this is awesome. Like, whatever's happening here, whether I like it or not, it makes me uncomfortable. It's amazing. And I want more of that. Because it's so much better than whatever I make for myself. And I think that's where God's moving us to. That we've turned to God, we're starting to, we're, we're getting some traction, we're, we're gelling as a congregation again, God's restoring us to the to what He created us to be. And that means the next step is to open our eyes to what God can do, right? We don't want to be limited by our own plans. Um, we don't want to put God in a box and never open it up because it seems too dangerous. We want to do exactly what God's preparing us to do, which is to go from Luke, the gospel, to the acts of the apostles. And notice the apostles couldn't stop themselves 
from telling people about God. They couldn't stop even if they wanted to. Even if they got, even if language got in the way, it didn't stop them. Right? There was no barriers, um, to them telling people about God because they could literally say, I guarantee you that your life will be better if you accept Yeshua into your heart. If you let him be your rabbi, if you, if you follow him and you become a Messiah follower, I guarantee you that your life will change. If we give people that opportunity, then, uh, there would be no turning back and we'd run out of space, which is exactly what happened. They had thousands of people. Per day. You know, a lot of people like to say the Jews rejected Yeshua. But in the first few years of this whole thing, thousands and thousands of Jewish people said yes because they encountered God in a way. And it was the people who were righteous. The people that looked for God's kingdom got God's kingdom. You know, if you're looking for your own kingdom, then you're going to end up somewhere else. You're going to end up on some other plan. But if you click into what God's doing, God will open your eyes and give you something greater. Um, and if you want that, I invite you to pray with me today because I think it's something that we have to we have to be willing to put down what we want and take on what God wants. So let's pray together. Lord, we invite you into this place. And we thank you for what you've done, Lord. We thank you that you're the God of grace. That you have given us um, an incredible heritage of thousands of years of learning about you. Lord, that you've given us the grace to have the oracles of God. That you've given us everything that we need to know to see you. And even when we couldn't see you, you're even willing to give us sight. Lord, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for what you did. And we ask that you allow us to follow you because we want our lives to be better. We want to live our lives to its fullest. And we know that the only way to do that is to be in your kingdom. So Lord, we ask for your kingdom today. We ask for your presence in this place. And we ask that you show us something more wonderful than we could ever imagine. And we ask it in the amazing name of Yeshua, whose whose name one day all knees will bow. And we know that we're looking forward to the day that you come back and take your place, um, Lord, and that you... We know that if we're with you, um, we can experience your kingdom today. And we're thankful for that, and we ask you for it. We put down our own expectations, and we put on your mantle of praise. And we thank you in Yeshua's name.